Hello, my friends. Hello. Morning, TK. Lana, Nigel, good to be back. Another great episode of Partnerships. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> the perfect <So>. podcasting. <laughs> Let's start with declarative statements. All right. Declarative statements. Right. We're new here now. We've got cameras in the studio too. Things are really ramping up. So this is very nerve wracking. Not only is there audio going, but for all the visual learners, you can now watch this on YouTube. Yay. Yes, you can. All right. No, I want to get into it. Really good feedback from the last episode of Partnerships where um, just talking about some of the experiences or how to be a good partner. But we want to talk a little bit today around partnerships that form as a business evolves. So you've been running a business for a while and you decide to bring on a partner and there's a whole range of reasons you would do that. Um, Obviously, business is going really well. You want to bring on a partner because the growth is something you haven't experienced before. Other reason might be business isn't going as well as you want. You bring on a partner to help you out. You might find a great joint venture you bring on a partner because you think if you combined your two businesses, you would be better. So there's a myriad of ways in which or reasons in which you would want to bring on a partner, but it's not as simple as that. And it's, it's, I actually think it's as difficult, uh, if not more difficult to bring on a partner after you're established, if you don't know what you're doing. So today, Lana, particularly your thoughts around this because we've done it um, a few times with external people as well, bringing on partners at different times. But I think we'll start with maybe the the fun one, which is you're getting to a point in your business where you want to bring on investment partners. Yeah. So we want someone to supercharge what we're doing. We've got a bit of a track record, things are going well, and we want to just fuel it by shooting in a buttload of capital. Yeah. So – where do you see the pitfalls? I'm just sorry, I just had a bit <laughs> blank of we've done this before and we should have had this discussion prior to that. So we've done it before. Um, yes. I've done it a few times uh, prior to the businesses we've done it before in. Mm-hmm. But what what are the considerations that you think a SME, let's talk about again SME type businesses because it's a lot different um, when you start getting a bit bigger because these things become more mathematical Um and there's a formula to it. But for SMEs that might not have those sort of frameworks, where would you begin if you were considering bringing on investment money into your, your company? Because you've done it before. Yeah, absolutely. So I'll answer both of those questions Great. in one. I'll just keep throwing multiple <laughs> questions, sit back and enjoy um, watching the video. Yeah. Um, I think the first, the, the pitfall, and this is definitely as someone who has experienced it themselves, is a lot of the time you lose a level of control. And so it's really easy to say, let's bring on money. Yep. But with money, it means that you are diluted in terms of not only your ownership but also your power. Yep. And so if someone comes in and they invest but they own 51% of your company from that investment, it means that they make the majority of the decisions with your company. Well, so, well I just want to jump on that. That, that can be one yes, of the options. Yes. So that's uh, one of the pitfalls yep. that can come from yep. investment in the company. Um, in terms of what? That's probably the biggest one from my point of view, from my experience. Um, In terms of what I guess the discussion should be as we are bringing on investment, I remember when we were first looking at investment in our agencies and I think that was a good five or six years ago. You have to understand the actual value of your company. So you might think that it's fabulous and you might think that it's got uh, profit in it and that it's running really well but 
the amount of money given into the company and how much of the company could be owned based on that sure. amount of money, it can be huge. And so you might think it's only going to cost you 10% of your company, but when investors look at all of the books and they make that decision and that offer, they could end up owning 60 70%, which when we were first looking at it back in the day, they were looking at taking a higher proportion than what we wanted to give. Absolutely. And I think, I mean, you've, you've touched on a few really important points. I think we should break them down. Thank you. Um, no, no, you're welcome. It's, uh, listen, I did good. it's early in the morning, so it's well done. Well Thanks. done. That coffee's really kicked in. <laughs> um, let's talk about the first one, which is I think everyone's fear when they bring on investment yeah. is I'm losing control. Yes. And I think that's something that you need to consider around the illusion of control mm-hmm. and what is really control for you as the business owner. So the first thing is, is percentage actually a controlling interest? Because most SMEs look at their equity as I'm a 100% shareholder and if I'm now a 51% shareholder, I don't have full control. But that's only a very, very basic way of looking at ownership of the company because it's not just 51% that gives you the control, it's how you structure the investment. So you can essentially have, and this is all, things that can happen contractually is you can still sell a major part of your company but have mechanisms to keep control of decision making and things like that and that's around structuring the investment deal and we don't want to run too far down that um too far down that uh, that hole or go too far down that hole because it can get very very complex but the first thing i guess is you probably need to decide what what life do you want as a business owner? Because a lot of us got into it because we don't want people being able to tell us what to do. Yeah. Um, as much as we want to sugarcoat it any other way, we're not good with people telling us what to do, nor do we want to be dictated by other people's terms. When we bring on investment or a controlling interest in our company, we're essentially, if we haven't structured it right, we're now working for the investors. Absolutely. And uh, Yeah. And even if you do bring on an investor and you still have got control in terms of decision-making, it's, it's not your company anymore in the same way that it was. And it does change the feel of the business. And so if you are an SME, particularly if you're an s and um, with money comes huge change. Yeah. And it's not always in a bad way, but it is a change. You do have to behave differently. You do have to hire different sorts of people you have much higher levels of accountability and, you know, really, really simple things. Like if you, I don't know, every Friday have Pizza Friday, the investors whose money are in the business, they have a say in, well, is this actually the smart way? Can have, can can have, have a say. say yep. um, to run the business. And it's, it's not a good or a bad thing, but it is a huge mindset shift that with money comes great responsibility for making that money work for the individuals. And you'd think that the sort of people that, you are as a business owner that you would want to make sure that you are making that money work for you yep. and that you are honouring that relationship with the investor. Absolutely. And I, I think that's really important in terms of the shift in the mind um, for the owner is most people are running a business and they're growing it and they want to make money. When you take on investment money, and I think this is why um, doors have been open for us in investment is – we look at investment, or I'll speak for myself and you can let me know if this resonates with you, but as far as I'm concerned, as soon as I take on investment money, I work for the investor to get a return on that money. 
Now, if my vision has been to grow something like that, that's still absolutely I want to, something I want to build. But I need to treat external money even more importantly than I would treat my own money because that's what the investor is giving me the trust in. I'm going to give you my capital and I expect you to get a return in that capital. And my job in the investor's eyes should be I should die for their money. I'm giving you an opportunity. Now, don't screw it up. Yeah. Abs- uh, and I hate that I continue to say absolutely yeah. and agree with you, but I, I believe that how we operate as a business is, you know, in a digital agency, we're there to get digital working. In a consulting um, business format, we're there to get business outcomes. Getting money from investors and going into that partnership, you have a whole new almost business role, which is I have to make this money succeed. That's exactly why you said yes to it, to grow yeah. your business. It is your duty or your responsibility, whatever you want to call it, they've in their side of the partnership have held up their end of the bargain. They've committed to you, they've given you the money, all the deal is there. Your commitment in that partnership, it begins the moment that money is there. Absolutely. And I think where we see a lot of immature SMEs is they go, well, they've only put in money. And it's you can't look at it like that. You can't be looking at people who are literally investing in you and looking at it as, oh, well, it's only money because no, it's a, it, it is a mechanism for trust and belief in who you are as a business person to deliver a result. That's what the money is. It's a byproduct of somebody giving what they've worked for to you because they believe you're someone who can give a return. And if you don't take investment on in that sort of responsibility, you start to get into petty discussions around you know pizza fridays you know, pizza fridays or this or that it doesn't mean you can't have pizza fridays it doesn't mean listen if you're giving investors a return on money they're basically not going to care yeah because they're looking for a return a good in, a good investor doesn't want to be hands on that's the point of being an investor i can give i can give my money to somebody i trust and i know that they're going to do all the right things to get a return when you're finding an investor is hands on you've probably picked up a really immature investor or you've picked up someone who doesn't quite trust you, or you've picked up someone that's an amateur. Good money should come with some conditions around how you're going to operate in your business. And this is really important because I think a lot of people get flustered around investment because generally they're probably dealing with friends and family that is just, it's, it's immature money. Mm. So if you, it's a completely different professional investors understand the investment game when you ask mum and dad and brother sister and family friends to put money in for your restaurant they the money means a lot to them the money is everything the money could be money they've saved for their family holidays it could be saving for their retirement could be a whole lot of things so they're not looking at it as hey i'm backing you to get a return on my money they're looking at if you lose my money i'm going to kill you yeah and i think it's hard to operate under that that, what's that saying i I think it's about academia it's something along the lines of the stakes are so high in academia because it matters so little and it's not against academia it's that idea of with small amounts of money it matters so much to the people investing it because it's a small amount but it's huge to them and that's why they're hands-on Versus if you've got, you know, private equity funds and private offices who have got so much money, they're the professionals who are much more hands-off because they know how the game goes. Yeah. This is a drop in the ocean to them for, uh, you'll know the stats better, but out of, you know, every 10 I think it's two make the money, one goes okay and the rest fail in terms of their investment. Yeah, the old sort of um, venture capital um, uh, equation oh, was, 
if you invest in 10 investments in a fund, um, six or seven are going to be a write-off, one or two will be okay and, you know, two or three are going to knock it out of the park and as an overall percentage, um, they'll see a return on their yeah. money and that's been really good over the last 20, 30 years, particularly in the tech space or early on in the tech space because a few of these things went really big um, and made everyone look really smart. But this is all tightening up now. So these deals are, as you can see, that a lot of the private equity firms, a lot of VC firms, particularly where we're playing in at the moment is they're trying to build their own in, um, operational capabilities to extract value. And when you're on the small level in an SME, you are the operational capability. They're backing you as a person. And I think understanding what you're getting into and why. So the question would then need to come back is, why do I want investment? Because most people think now I can get rich because I've got money. But actually, why do you need money in your business? And that's probably a big question you need to ask because you're bringing on a partner, but the partner's there to say, you said you can get a return on my money. That's what you promised and you're not allowed to break your promise. Yeah. So the question is, why do you need money? And I think we also made this mistake at the start uh, <laughs> back in the day. We wanted it to, I think it was hire the right people. I believe that was one of our yep. key points. And the investors said to us, why don't you just bring that person on as a partner? Yeah. So their advice was actually don't take the money to hire one person. It was build up your business to get that right person because by getting that right person when we invest – your, our money will go further. Well, wait a minute. I want to get that right because I, I want to make sure it came across. I think we wanted to buy companies to acquire the right people. Yeah. And they said, just go and hire the person. Yeah. So <laughs> we were looking to, you know, we, we were young and immature. It's just like, why don't we just buy these companies and then we get the talent with it and their clients and all this sort of stuff and it will be an ROI that would work. And they're basically, why don't you just go and find and poach the best people and build up your own departments at that time. Now, yeah. Both the reason both strategies would work is because um, they're both winning strategies. One of them at the time was the market was so inflated with the type of businesses that we wanted to buy that the investors had experience in you'd be paying way over the odds to get that company. So that's not the right strategy. And this probably leads into the second point around what are you getting when you get investment, which is it's not just money. A lot of the time, there's a lot of money out there at the moment. You might hear that there's a lot of money around. People say that phrase. You might know what the hell does that mean? It means there's a lot of people who are liquid at the moment, but actually only a few people are getting the money. So there's a lot of money out there for the right people. Yeah. But what a lot of smaller businesses need to consider is most likely you screw up the money. What <laughs> you need to bring in is a money and a skill set. Yeah. So if you are an SME needing money, there's a gap in probably what you need. So if you've never um, had a big win in a business, you should be looking at money that comes with a skill set or some guidance or something that can open doors because for us, our strategic investment was more around let's get money or people involved that have money but not any money. Let's have people that have big doors that can open up to new worlds that we aren't exposed to because that was actually worth more than the investment because we could self-fund it anyway. Why could we self-fund it? We had a good business model. It was set up for self-funding growth. So we, we were okay. We didn't really need money. We just wanted to accelerate. But we knew that the time it would take to open doors that people have built over 30, 40, 50, 60 years, that's money can't buy. But 
If we ask people as a favor to do that, they'll do it, of course, but it's different when they're invested in the business because they want it to make sure it works. They want to keep opening doors because they want it. So sometimes the investment's not about getting the money. The investment is getting the buy-in from the people you want to be on your team. Yeah, and so we did have uh, both sides of that. We did have someone approach us who wanted to invest in the company, but their investment was solely money versus another group who offered us um, business learning, progression for everyone in the team, uh, a really great foundation in terms of education, so making everyone better in the business and that idea of opening doors. And, again, we were lucky enough that the position that we've always been in is it's been a choice, a yes or a no. It's never been a forced yes or a no because we were making that decision ourselves to seek investment. And well, this I, I, I don't want to I don't want to interrupt but I think th- that's probably too good a point not to <laughs> Oh thanks Tim. No, but it's too good a point for people out there if you're seeking investment because you need the money you're not looking for investment you're looking for salvation. That's a big difference. Investment is I'm at a point and I want money to go to the next point and I believe that money will be able to get me there faster. So what you're looking at is paying for the time gap to be shrunken because more resources means being able to trigger projects faster and get there quicker. Other people who go, I'm just seeking investment, it's because, yeah, you've run out of cash. Mm. You, of course you are seeking investment but if you don't get it, you're, you're done. And that is a very interesting point because oh, the, thank f- you. <laughs> the first one, it's a position of strength. Yeah. That you come from as the SME or the business. When you're talking to the investor themselves – you don't have to bend or malleable. All of your discussions are based on equality of I can give you this, you can give me this, let's come to a fair and reasonable outcome. If you come at it from that element of um, your desperate desire to have money to keep going, that is probably where the deal would be more structured in favour of the investment partnership only because you have less to bring to the table. They have more to bring to the table. Yeah, the, the balance of power shifted. Absolutely, and that's where the decision is made. Um, and I, I believe I was listening to another podcast of yours where this discussion oh. was. Um, oh. You're you, a fan. I'm a fangirl. Um, was it the stopgap, this idea of, well, when do you walk away? Is that money going to make the difference in the business or is this the decision of is going into a new partnership worth it? Yeah, ab- absolutely. And, and we're obviously for a lot of the um, the people listening out here, they've probably got smaller businesses. So a lot of this conversation might be something they've never actually considered, mm. which is, oh, you get investment for my small business. And probably if you're saying that question, you're probably not ready for investment anyway, because you've still got some learning to go through around where your business is going and what you need. Investment is a natural progression when you get to a point and you feel frustrated you can't accelerate because you need additional capital not that the business is crap and struggling to work and that doesn't mean that some businesses with a cash injection can't work better because sometimes you just need capital to get some different growth might be needing to buy more stock because if you're, you're running some sort of retail type business without enough stock turnover you're never going to get the critical mass to self-grow. So there are exceptions to everything. But you, you need to have a maturity that when you're speaking to an investor, there's no question you don't know about where their money's going. As soon as they hear that, you are you just they'll still be nice to you, most of the people, but the only people who are going to give you money is immature. It's going to be family and friends and you're going to 
losing family and friends' money. Um, I've done it. No, I should say family's money and paid it back, don't worry. Um, <laughs> but I've seen the story a lot. It's really not nice. It's not nice. You never want to lose, you know, friends and family's money. And if you're only able to attract friends and family's money, it means that you're not ready really for investment. It's not that it shouldn't happen because small investments happen sometimes. It's like people who like to be involved with a restaurant or bar. I was having a laugh the other day because um, in Australia they've started to allow a crowdfunding of investments. So there's a couple of groups that have opened up and, you know, it's, I think it's about 12 months old and already I've seen two that have gone into receivership and bankruptcy. And it's really sad but it's people, you know, crowdfunding wanting to be involved in a pub or a restaurant. Now, the survival rates of these businesses are so low. And so why are people putting in five, ten grand to these things? Because they want to say, I own a pub. So they're actually buying the ability to say, I own this. It's actually not an investor. It's immature money that the government's now allowing to go into these things. But it's not a it's not smart. It's a high risk investment. It's why there's a protection around um, what you're allowed to invest in. So a lot of people don't know that. There's a category called sophisticated investor, which means you need to go to your accountant and hit some criteria. And I've, I think it's now two million in assets and two hundred fifty thousand of um, uh, revenue each year or that you're bringing in. But you basically something like that. Don't quote me because I can't remember the exact numbers. But you have to literally get from your accountant a certificate that says you are a sophisticated investor and you can look and be open to some investment opportunities. So there's a lot of people that are doing investments around the world, but you would have never been able to see them because you don't qualify. See, this whole rich gets richer. There's a there is a, a truth to it that you get exposed to better deals but they're much higher risk deals because you have to have the sophistication to understand them and being able to accumulate assets and um, be able to earn a certain amount gives you a criteria that you're probably someone who understands money and investment vehicles because they can get very, very complicated. But when you're just an SME, you just want to basically look at where do I need to start and why do I need the money? Because if the answer is, if I get $200,000 for this or a million dollars for this, how fast can I turn that into 1.5, 10 mil, whatever it is? That's when the investment starts. But second to that is, how is that partnership going to work with the investor? And they're the terms you want to seriously work out with the person you're borrowing money from even being or being invested in. Your partner. Yeah, it becomes a partner and you that is so important to have those, not only the terms because the lawyers will do that, you'll be you'll have terms, don't worry about that. But how are you going to behave? And if it's someone you're looking for a skill set, you've got to work out when do you have access to these people? Because the other one is not just the investors or people putting money into your company sort of being an overarching burden. What if you need more access to them? So what if actually you really need their help, their mentoring, they act as an advisory board or what they're going to bring to the table? If you've factored that into the investment, it doesn't happen. Well, how? what's the mechanism for you being able to go to them and get more from them? So there's a lot of complexity. Yeah, and that's a, that is a really interesting one because when it does come time to, you know, the contracts and what the letter yep. of offer looks like, which outlines usually the specificity around the money and the percentages and what the business will give in, it's really important to go back with as a business, this is my expectation from the partnership from the investor. Things like quarterly board meetings, uh, monthly face-to-face with one of the decision makers. Yep. 
um, access to their network. So actually having that put down either in that letter of offer or the contract itself that says, I understand that my your partnership to me is giving me the funds. My partnership to you is making sure that I make your funds work. But it's everything around that partnership Absolutely. that has to be noted down to begin with because it just it brings back that equality of, yes, money and output are important, but I can make your money go better if my output is better and you can make my output better. Absolutely. We should probably say hello to Nigel because you and I have got, Hi, into, this. We've got into this <laughs> lock of uh, discussing things that, that are really of interest to us. But how are you, Nigel? Great. It's been a great conversation and it's not something that um, in my area I've not had much to deal with investors. Uh, so what am I going to add at that point? If I could though turn the conversation around just a little bit because I think um, a lot of the people listening, they're not in a space where they're going to have a sophisticated enough business to for an investor to come to. The type of partnership and the type of investment that they're going to bring in is the human capital. So they're going to trade equity to bring in a skill set uh, and that type of partnership is one that yeah. I've had experience with um, and can be far more, or not, I would assume, can be a little bit more difficult. Well, yeah, let's, I mean, that's a good jump, a jump point because um, if, you, if you're someone who obviously seeking investment, that's a game that we play, particularly in the SMEs and we're set up for that. But if you're someone who's going through still the growth stage of their business and you're considering bringing in a partner, Let's look at let's let's talk a little bit about that because um I, I literally had one yesterday where I was uh, sitting down and looking through someone's investment proposal, a smaller business, and they've hit a they've hit one of the elements of their business out of the park. Like they've just they went big and it's amazing and it's an amazing opportunity and they're going to make a crap ton of money and it's awesome and so everything's been accelerated really quickly. So they had something that was worth nothing now it's worth something something and they're, they've got offshoots that need to start happening in order to, to make their whole group work. So it's a really exciting time for them. This is their um, this is their rocket ship moment where they get to really enjoy it. So we sat down and we were looking through an investment proposal that we'd been invited to because they obviously we've known them for quite a while and they feel we can add some value. So they want to bring us in as um, part of that uh, investment capital but also they're buying in our skill set. So they'd rather us buy in with a least amount of money because it's not about they don't need money. They need money and people who are going to make sure they don't screw this up. And so that's a money can't buy skill set that we could provide. And so we're having this conversation and, and looking through and breaking it down and we ended up having getting the discussion to a point of you're being too generous even to me. I hated to say it. Like, <laughs> like I hated to say it because I'm like, I want to be on this rocket ship. This is going to be such a fun ride for the next few years. I, uh, great people, great business, great everything. But like then the philodomo kicks in, which is like, mate, you're being way too generous here. You need to halve this. And I just think that we should talk a little bit about that because Lana picked up on it before, which was you've got to know the value. And so how do you – and maybe this is a good question when you were going through it. Like, how do you, what are the considerations that you start to make when you're trying to work out your value in the deal? <laughs> That's a big question. It is a big question. Well, maybe I'll make it simpler because you're right. How would someone, how does, why do people overvalue their companies? <laughs> <laughs> That's a uh, much smaller that question. That's a much smaller question. <laughs> um, as, a, as a business owner, 
what you do is amazing. What I do is phenomenal. No one else can do it. Can't you see I'm so special? Yeah, we're all so amazing. We're all so special. Um, Nigel, you're also I'm so amazing. Yeah. <laughs> at the gym, it's very yeah, special. Yeah, <laughs> um, You know, you put in so many hours. Haven't they seen how much you've built it? You deserve remuneration for all those 2am work that you put into it. You've been doing this for seven years and you you deserve. I've been taking half a wage to get it to this point. Yeah. So overvalue me because I'm going to I'm going to yeah. get my payday. Also, we all our skill sets are also unique. I can tell you now as a digital marketer, no one else has my digital marketing skills. Right. Yeah. No one understands the platforms like I do. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, all people think that about themselves and it's a very difficult fact to realize you're a commodity. Absolutely. And there will be in the partnership some people that uh, are deemed to generally have a higher value than others and that's not the decision of the business. That is the decision of the partner who is coming in to invest in you and it can become an awkward discussion when what is uh, equality in the business suddenly becomes inequality in the business because one skill set at that time is deemed to be more important than the other. Oh, absolutely. I mean we, we had an offer on one of our companies once and it was um, on the condition I didn't come with it. <laughs> <laughs> that that should be written to all of the future offers. <laughs> that was my condition, <laughs> Um But yeah, and that, that is honestly how we begin with an overvaluation: is that we think that we are so much, we are so special, our skill set is so unique, and that we deserve to be compensated for hard work. And the reality is, pardon my French, but fuck, you do not. Mm. You absolutely do not, because you are one of five million businesses that they could invest in. And this means skill set, skill set or money. So what you actually have to do is look at the market. You have to look at your years of trading. If you've had one good year and before that you had 12 bad years or basic years. Oh, I just want to um, just to just come over the top here. We're talking about SMEs here. Yes. There is absolutely businesses that have developed an IP or done something or uh, something magical that is very, very unique, a unique idea at the right time that's already had traction. So just when you're listening to this and a few people be frustrating because A, they're thinking about it themselves and B, disagreeing, we understand. There's also these exceptions to the rules. These are the amazing businesses we've we've dabbled in. Uh, you know, we've if had you're the, the unicorn, go for gold. Yeah, yeah there's there's <laughs> going to be an exception to where we have something that's so special. But if you literally know your business and you can Google and there's ten in your suburb, you're not special, regardless of how good your customer service is. Not to say that you're not great. No, nor that you can build it into something very special. But we're talking about your normal well, SME building up a company and and doing it that way. And also looking at the question was why do people overvalue? And it's not again that you are not a good business. It's that very few businesses are genuinely unique because we all operate, especially in Australia, we are a small pond. And so yep. we do learn from each other and we grow from each other. And so the overvaluation begins internally. And so then when your partner comes back with, this is what I value you at, it can be a shock because oh. you have overvalued or overassumed your capital. I saw a business once that they'd been working for so long and so hard and when they went to sell it, the thing that the people valued most was their database. They wanted to close down their whole business. The database was That's worth more than all their work. 
Yeah. It's fine. They've still got money. Relax. I yeah. mean, they're good. Well, but I'm saying who, who gives a shit. And that, that is also a big yeah. part of it is another overvaluation is what do you want? If you just want a cushy lifestyle where you've got money coming in and you've got the skill set working and everything is coming together so you don't have to stress as much, you're not going to be as concerned with your valuation. Also, never seen that really happen. <laughs> no. <laughs> that is one of those illusions that happen to the very few and most of the people who want the cushy are probably not the entrepreneur at the start. They were caught up in the initial partnership and go, this is great. Now I've got a job, I get a lot of money while I earn out. Yeah. But it, it, to me, a lot of entrepreneurs, that's the, the golden handcuffs are the worst thing you can have because they've lost their – you just killed the child in them that wanted to build – Yes, it's nice to have a break, but you, it's amazing how many of them take their first holiday, come back and go, I want to kill myself. <laughs> I got so much money and I've lost all purpose. Yeah. By the way, don't kill yourself. Just find a – go through the – work out your next thing. Like <laughs> we see a lot of it and it's, it's really sad. You know, it's really sad. But so jumping back on that is how do we value ourselves? And, and one of the questions let's, – let's flip it on its head because a lot of people out there that would feel very valuable as in – I'm really important to my business, then let's ask this question. Then why are you where you're at right now? So if you're killing it, you walk in there and you you can dictate the terms. People want to buy. You've got investors lining up. You've got people who want to join you. You've got them kicking the house down, you know, kicking the doors down to be involved. But if you're not that business that you're running something and you're looking to bring on a skill set because you believe that's going to be the next step, why why are you needing this partner and why can't you afford to bring this person on by hiring them? Yeah. Uh, and all of my comments around this are all from <laughs> experience. I've gone through this myself, overvalued, thought that I was worth more and that's not a detriment to me as a person. But it's exactly as you say, people weren't kicking down the door. We had the good ones that we went out to find. Yep. But at the end of the day, it's it, we were in a, at that stage in a commodity type business mm-hmm. And there's only a certain ceiling on commodity type businesses. Mm. But when we're putting together a deal to bring on someone, because it is a common SME thing. So when we're bringing someone on board, I think what you have to also evaluate as the owner is two, two phases of what you need to do. First of all is, are you bringing them on as an equity partner? So let's, let's make the assumption is we're going to bring them on as an equity partner. What do they need to do to earn their equity? So that needs to be clearly mapped out aside from their actual job in the business. Equity and your role are different things. So most people give the equity when they come on. I don't like that. I think you should earn the equity based on you performing in your role. So if you hit these KPIs and it does what we say it's going to do, then you should get what we've talked about. But if you don't perform in this environment, why should you be an equity partner? You actually should be fired. So for a lot of SMEs, if you're considering bringing on a partner, why do you want to give them equity up front? If these people are bought in for the long term, why not make it part of them needing to achieve a milestone to get it? And it comes back to your uh, comment of being overly generous. Sometimes yeah. you can be desperate to bring on a skill set and so you do over overgiven, overpromise, well, not probably overpromise, but you want to give so much because you're excited about this person coming in and that does set up the relationship for the partner coming in as almost feeling like, well, I deserve this when they haven't put skin in the game. Absolutely. And you, you have to be very careful of people that have never run their own companies that want to start being an owner of a business. 
because it's not that they won't perform, but you need to know what you're getting. If you think you're picking up another entrepreneur who's going to do the seven days a week, 24 hours a day when required, the question you ask is why haven't they done that yet? Mm. So there's something there. I, I, you know, I've just made this mistake too many times in, in thinking people are, because they're now a partner, going to then be entrepreneurial. And I realize even saying that out loud, how ridiculous it sounds. But as as the owner and bringing on someone, you need to realize that the person's not going to change who they are or have been their whole life, regardless of what they're saying, regardless of their sap story around, I'm so bored at work, I want to get back into small business and I want to make an impact, I want to, it's up to my time. No, no, no. There's a reason you haven't done it up to this point because you're not built that way. You're not built that way. You're not an entrepreneur. You're someone who's looking to get the ride of an entrepreneur but without the risk of an entrepreneur. So don't be overly generous with that person until they've proven themselves in the environment. For owners there, you need to be really careful of this because a lot of people think that by bringing or giving someone ownership rights or equity in their business, they're suddenly going to be like them in terms of the, the way they see it. It just doesn't happen. And part of the reason you do often bring in a partner is that you want a different point of view. You want a different work ethic and you want to take the business to the next level and you cannot do that alone. I know every time new people come into our team, it's a whole new level of everything across the board and now the right people, they see what they can uh, fix, build or change. They see it as a great opportunity to get that business to that next level stage so it's very lonely running a business so some of the times we're just you know it's our salvation is bringing on a partner because we don't want to feel lonely you feel twice as lonely when you've got a partner that is not doing what you want and you've still got the same problems mm-hmm. like you've got to be really careful with this this is why talking about things like this and considering it it's rare to have a great partnership that's aligned and the courts are full of ones that don't work out and this is why knowing some options as an SME is really, really important. You don't have to just give away equity to bring someone on. You can give people profit share first of all. You can give people options. You can make people buy into the business. You can give people an option to buy in in 12 months' time at a, at a certain um, value. For instance, you can buy in for $100,000 in 12 months' time and it's going to be a great deal because if you do what you need to do in the next 12 months, it'll be worth three to four times what it's worth now. So you're getting a three or four time return on your money. And people go, well, that sounds pretty fair. Yeah, it is a lot fairer. But guess what? Now the burden goes on to the person coming in that have to do their job. And I see businesses get destroyed by entrepreneurial people looking to bring on partners but always making the wrong deal and people being given too much early without before they've actually earned it. Talk is cheap. That's a really good saying. It is absolutely talk is cheap. Everyone will say yes to equity. (laughs) Why would you say no? Yeah. The other thing is it's also one that's an interesting one. Most people fall in love with equity. Um, Not a lot of equity gets realized. That's the funny thing. So if you have equity in a business or you come in as the, say, the incumbent, you're someone who's coming into a business and go, yes, I picked up 50% equity. Go, do you realize under 2% of companies actually sell? Great. So why don't you actually explain that to the SMEs out there? Why doesn't equity always get realized, Tim? Well, you've got to sell the company. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and if the company doesn't sell and we've got a 2, 2% survival rate, it's not really that valuable. 
you know, some people use equity to suck partners in knowing that I'm happy if the company sells, but most likely it's never going to sell anyway. So it's going to be a, you'd be better off negotiating a profit share. Absolutely. Or, you know. That's where the contract and this agreement of partnership comes back to is if you're on the flip side of this, so you're coming into an SME as a skill set or a CEO or whatever it might be, don't get caught up in all the bright shiny lights or that need to just own the pub. Yeah, people want to say they own a company because it's an ego boost, not that it actually ever gets realised. No. no. For SMEs I'm talking about, smaller businesses, it's a rarity. Mm. Or, or if it does get sold, it's not at a value that's justified what you've taken no. as a cut to be involved. And that's why you have to be really smart, not only as the business owner but the person coming into the company. And it can take a long time. Absolutely. It can if be you, years and years and years. Yeah. It's not that quick win. So it, it is a really interesting, for me, partnership discussion because people do come back to partnerships as one-on-one people but partnerships are entities. So from the investment group and the business group, the business to that CEO, whatever it might be, partnership is between two or more entities and the individuals within them. So that's a, that can also add another spanner into the works. Absolutely. And I, I mean, one of our mentors said it to us and it was, um, it has held true as advice, which is um, never give equity for a school you can pay for. Yeah. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> never give equity for a school you can pay for. So when you bring on um, partners or you need a, a skill set, bring on someone who can change the game for your company because it can get you involved. So some equity partners um, or, or sorry, and some partners you bring on, the next month you've got doors open and leads that can completely change the way or the, the category of, of business you're doing, you know, better clients, access to better people, access to better resources, access to better buying power. They're game-changing skills that you can't buy that. You need to actually have that. So this is why people make different money and some people do way more, uh, way less work to make way more money because their skill set is money can't buy skill sets. But most SMEs are giving away equity for money can buy skill sets that are unproven. That's really dangerous and that's why so many of these things fail is because it's in six months' time you're in the same position in the company except now you've got twice the problems because you've got two partners in there or three or five or whatever. You know, it's just ridiculous. Um, I like that topic because I think it's one that's it's <laughs> that's good. Why not? I was just thinking about because it it's such a dangerous one, and it's when, even when a business is going well as an SME, you can step on one of these landmines that will destroy it because a bad partnership can take years to unravel. It, it's just very dangerous, and if you don't understand this um, area you're not going to understand how to structure something that at least when you take the chance that if it doesn't go according to plan, there's an easy way to remedy it or get out of it where most people just go and go, yep, you can have this much of my business and we're now partners. It's just, it's a nightmare. It can seem really bright and shiny and if it is from that place of more that desperation than the strength, you'll say yes to anything and you will fundamentally regret it because the decision was not made out of smarts. And I think that's, from my point of view, the biggest thing in a partnership of investment, whether it's involvement or money, note down all of the problems that you've got and note down everything that you want to achieve from the partnership and see where the two of them come together. 
because that then is a strong partnership regardless of if you're desperate. You know that you're making the right decision to get your business to that next level. Absolutely and we, we should finish on a positive note that we're, we're coming from the point of view of some of the landmines that you need to avoid and, and the common misconceptions or the, the wrong thinking for SMEs when looking into partnerships but the right partnerships whether it be with another company, whether it be with the right business partner, whether it be with a skill set that money can't buy can completely transform and accelerate your business. I've had partners that have come in after years in a company and you know, within six months, the business is doing triple or quadruple. And, you know, this was years ago, but they bought in something that I couldn't see or didn't have the experience at that point. And they were a wonderful thing. But it's understanding this topic well. So when you get to make that decision, that you make the right one, because it can be such a great acceleration tool if you do it well. But if you do it wrong, it's, it's a nightmare. It can really destroy the company, which is not what we want. <laughs> anyway, excellent. Lana, thank you very much. I think very insightful today. Well done. Oh, thank excellent. You. Nigel. Glad um, I could add value. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. Listen, we, we're going to need to, um, we're going to evaluate today's uh, podcast. Um, no, uh, I think one of the good things uh, in sitting in a partnership meeting and these kind of conversations is know when your opinion has weight and know when you should be sitting and listening. Well done. <laughs> uh, guys, great to see you. We will see you next week. Ciao, Kate.